0: Tonight, I want to deal with the fire of God. Everybody say the fire of God. Come on, say the fire of God. The fire of God. Now, I, when I was growing up in church, we always thought that the fire of God had to deal with somebody shouting. We assumed uh, that when the fire of God came, then people would respond a certain way. And we used to classify sermons or services as, boy, that was a good service because the preacher didn't preach. Or we used to say, boy, that was a good service, sister so-and-so gave a tongue and interpretation. Or boy, that was a good service because we just shouted all night. And I am not saying anything wrong with that. I tell you what, I was born in the fire and I can't live in the smoke. Can I hear an amen? So there's nothing wrong with that. I praise God for my heritage and I praise God for services like that. But I want you to understand something that the fire of God or the presence of God is more than somebody shouting. It's more than just having a good service, and it's more than just having biblical information. The fire of God is more than all of those things. As a matter of fact, I would propose to you that the fire of God is much deeper than what you've ever experienced in your life. Can I hear an amen? Now, one of the things you have to understand that as a Christian, you are either doing two things in your life. As a Christian, you are either building idols in your life, or you're building altars in your life. Two things. I want you to say that as loud as you can. Idols or altars. You are doing two things every day of your life. You are either building idols or you're building altars. Now, in the Old Testament, an idol was a something that was constructed that they worshipped. It was a wooden god or a gold or silver god that they bowed down to worship. Now, you and I would never do that today because we're smarter than that. But in the spiritual realm, we do build idols. We build idols out of our opinions. We build idols out of food, money, sex, you name it. We, we have constructed idols in our life where we give worship to it. And what is worship? Anything you ascribe worth to more than God. So if you give a lot of attention to something in your life more than you give God, then what you have done is you have created an idol even though you think it's a good thing. Because there's always a good thing before a God thing. That is why Eve fell into sin. You know why she fell into sin? Because the fruit looked good. And everything good in your life is not right. I just said a mouthful. Did you hear me? Everything good in your life is is not acceptable. The reason that Eve fell into sin is that she thought the fruit was good. And sometimes doing good things... Can just be as bad as doing bad things. So just because something is good doesn't make it acceptable unto God. So you're either doing two things in your life. You're building idols, or you are building altars. You are making something, and you're giving worth to something more than you're giving to God. Or you are creating an altar. And what is an altar? In the Old Testament, an altar was a place where they sacrificed. Now please don't lose me, church. Are you creating idols? Are you giving something worth? more than God? Are you paying attention to something and giving something worth more than you are given to God that's an idol? Or are you creating an altar, and an altar is a place where they sacrificed on, an altar was a place that they took something that was important and put it on the altar and it became a sacrifice. So what, are you creating altars in your life? Are you sacrificing things? You would have less idols in your life if you create more altars in your life. I'm going to say that again. You would have less idols in your life if you have more altars in your life. Somebody shout this with me. Idols and altars. Say it again. Idols and altars. You are either building or constructing one of them. And you know what's a shame? Most of us in here, including myself, we all make idols every day of our life. Just think about it. John Calvin, that great reformer of the church, said, I have come to the conclusion that mankind is an idol-producing factory. I would agree with John Calvin. Mankind is an idol-producing factory. In other words, we produce idols every day of our life, and some of us don't even realize we've created idols. We don't even realize that we're paying more attention to something than, than given to God. You know, you, your family can be an idol, your children can be idols, your your Pets can be an idol. Your money can be an idol. Your your social club can be an idol. Anything can be an idol. Because any time you devote more time to something more than God, it becomes an idol. And a lot of people don't see this. And the reason they don't see it is because they think it's good. They think it's good that I'm doing this, so it's not an idol. And you've got to understand something, that the children of Israel didn't see anything wrong with creating idols themselves and they got in trouble, and that's why it takes the Holy Spirit growing in the faith to realize discernment. This this is going too far in my life. I need to make a correction because if I don't, it's going to become an idol in my life, and it's going to demand that I pay more attention to it than I pay attention to God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. You see, if God is not first, if he is not the hub, the spokes will fall out of your life. He has to be number one in your marriage. He has to be number one in your home. He has to be number one in your kid's life. He has to be number one at the church. He has to be number one in every department of your life. If he ain't number one, something else is going to be number one. Can I hear an amen? If he is not number one, something else is number one. And if you do self-evaluation of your heart, you can quickly find the stuff that is number one in your life. Because it takes more attention, more effort, more more, uh, time and resources. When you're devoting to it, it will take up most of your time, and that becomes an idol. So you're either developing idols or altars in your life. Are you surrendering those parts of your life to God? Are you giving Him a sacrifice? Now let me ask you a question. What does it mean that I give a sacrifice to God? What does it mean to give a sacrifice to God on an idol? Well, guess what? A sacrifice is anything that costs you something. So, guess what? You know, I, I, uh, I don't have tithe money. Well, guess what? That's a sacrifice. You got to give it anyway. You see, if you had it and you gave it, it's not a sacrifice. Well, I don't feel like going to church. Make a sacrifice. You see, because if you felt like it, it's not a sacrifice. Anything that costs you something is a sacrifice. So let me ask you a question. How much sacrifices are you making in your life? Or are you living out of convenience? Are you living out of convenience? If you're li- living out of the spirit of convenience, you're not making sacrifices. If you're living out of a spirit of being comfortable, you're not making sacrifices. Oh, you know what? Now listen. If you live out of a spirit of convenience, you are going to make idols in your life and not altars. That is why it's important that every day of your life, you make a mental note and a spiritual note. I've got to, be an, I've got to build altars in my life. If I don't, I will have an a, a idol. Somebody spoke to me wrong. If I dwell on it, it's going to be constructed as an idol and that's going to take all my time and energy, so therefore today, I'm not going to construct an idol of my offense. I'm going to submit it on the altar and make it a sacrifice to God. Somebody say amen. You've got to make a decision that you're going to be altar-driven and not idol-driven. Can I hear an amen up in this church? So every day, including myself, you know, I'm, I'm, when I preach to you, I'm preaching to myself too. I've got to be very careful that I make... Altars in my life and not idols in my life. And now, why is this important to the fire of God? Because the fire of God only came upon altars that was being used. The fire of God never came on altars that had nothing on it. And if you want the presence of God, now get this, what do I mean by the fire of God? Every time you read the Bible, the fire of God was usually contained in two departments it either was his presence or it was judgment. The fire of God was two things. It was judgment or it was his presence. So therefore, if you are making idols in your life, you're not going to have the fire of God. But if you have altars in your life and you are putting things on the altar, guess what? When you put a sacrifice on the altar is when the fire of God will show up. Because in the scriptures, the fire of God only came to altars that had sacrifices on it. And if you are not giving sacrifices every day of your life, and you're not making sacrifices, you're not going to experience the power of God. And we wonder why the church is weak and sick and barely making it. Can I just preach a little bit up here on Sunday night? The reason that we're sick and barely making it is because the church hasn't learned that the fire of God doesn't come without a price tag. You've got to lay something on the altar, and it has to cost you something before the fire of God falls. The fire of God is not going to come just because you want it to come. The fire of God is, going to come when you place a sacrifice on the altar. So when you place a sacrifice on the altar, that is when you experience the presence of God. You cannot expect to come to church, oh, I want the presence of God, I I, I want the goosebump, I want the power of God. When you haven't prayed all week and you run your mouth all week, got upset with everybody, got offended with everybody, all you did all week was making idols of your life and you've never constructed altars, you've never put anything on the altar, so don't expect the power of God. Do you really want the power of God? You've got to learn to put something on the altar. You've got to put the offenses on the altar. You've got to put the attitude on the altar. You've got to put your kids on the altar. You've got to put your money on the altar. You've got to put the church people on the altar. Can I hear? an amen. You've got to put your co-worker on the altar. I'm not going to dwell on it because I'm not making an idol. I'm going to put it on the altar because when I put it on the altar, the fire of God's going to come and consume it. Can somebody just say amen up in this Pentecostal church on a Sunday night? You've got to put something on the altar. If you don't put something on the altar, the fire of God will never fall. You got to put something. You're either creating idols or you're creating altars in your life every day of your life, including myself. We all got to ask ourselves, "What am I doing today? Am I creating altars or am I creating idols in my life?" How many idols do you have constructed in your life? You know what you need to be, Sister Regina? I'm reminded of Josiah. You know what Josiah did? Josiah was one of those righteous kings of Israel. And the Bible says that Josiah went to the temple of the Lord, and guess what he found? He found found idols there in the temple. Not only did he find idols in the temple, but he found idols at high places. And you know what he did in all of Judah? He went there and he smashed all of the idols in Israel. He smashed it out of the temple. And he says, listen, I want the fire of God back. I want the presence of God back. And in order for me to have the presence of God and the power of God, i got to smash all of these idols out and i got to lay a sacrifice back on the altar again. If you want the fire of God and the power of God, you've got to learn to smash those idols and lay a sacrifice on the altar. So guess what? If you're offended, that's a good thing. You need to lay something at the altar. Can I hear an amen? If you don't like somebody, lay them at the altar. You need to lay something at the altar. You've got to make a decision that you've got to lay stuff at the altar or the fire of God will never come. Now, it's interesting to me that the altar in the Old Testament, get this, the altar in the Old Testament, can you all just tell I'm just excited tonight? Can you tell I just felt the power of God earlier? You know what? I felt the power of God. I was preaching revival last week. No joke, Sister Regina, as I was preaching on Sunday morning, I was telling my pastor, I was preaching, I tell you what, the power of God was so strong, I felt as though, honest to God, I felt as though somebody took some oil, poured it over my head, I felt it fall over my head, all over my hands, I took off shouting in front of the church because I felt the power of God. I'm telling you, there's more to God than what you've experienced. The fire of God is real, the power of God is real, and if you start to lay something at the altar, I tell you what, the fire of God will consume that thing. Hallelujah. So when I was reading this scripture, I just get so excited. I just, my Lord, I tell you what, if this wasn't a Sunday night, I might just run around this building. But my Lord, can somebody just wave your hand and thank God for the power of God tonight. Hallelujah. Thank God for the power of God. Amen. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 6 and verse number 9, Leviticus chapter 6 verse 9, look at this, just look at this phrase here. Leviticus chapter 6 and verse number 9. He said, command Aaron and his sons, saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be upon the heath, upon the altar all night into the morning. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. So everybody say, keep the fire burning. And the priest shall put on his linen garment, his linen trousers. He shall put it on his body. Take the ashes off the burnt offering which is the fire has consumed on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off the garments and put the other garments. He shall carry the ashes outside of the camp to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it, and it shall, it shall not be put out. Boy, I like that phrase. It shall not be put out. Somebody just say that with a preacher. It shall not be put out. The fire of God that I got years ago, it shall not be put out. That experience I got last week, it shall not be put out. My healing that I got last week, it shall not be put out. The Holy Ghost and fire that I got when I was 11 years old, it shall not be put out. You've got to stir yourself up and you've got to flame the fan of God in your life. You can't let the fire go out. What's up with you letting the fire go out? You mean to tell me people have so much control over you they have the ability to snipe out the fire of God? You mean to tell me that people in your life can get you so upset that you can lose the power of God and the fire of God? And I'm saying yes because I've met a lot of them. Just let people blow out the fire. Blow it out. And every Sunday i got to light everybody's fire. So we gotta have a lighting service. I gotta light everybody up so we can last to next Sunday. And the next Sunday you're like, is this the same church last week? Because we gotta light everybody's fire again. I just wish to God we all just keep it lit all week. Can I hear an amen? Can somebody just wave your hand and say, I gotta keep it lit all week? Now don't, don't get offended. If you've got the fire of God lit all week, then praise God. Just rub up against me and make my flame bigger. Can I hear an amen? So if you're lit all week, I want you to light somebody else next week. Is that all right? Is that all right? So he said, the fire shall not be put out. Don't put it out. And then he says, look at verse 12. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it, and it shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, lay the burnt offering in order on it, and he shall burn it on on it, the fat of the peace offering. A fire shall always be burning on the altar and it shall never go out. That was the altar in the temple. And God says, listen, Moses, you make sure that fire keeps burning. It never goes out. Every morning, you've got to make sure you put wood on the fire. And then he said, I want you to make sure you take the ashes off because ashes will stifle the fire. You take the ashes off and put the wood on it because the fire has to be burning. And did you know for 40 years that fire never went out? Day and night, the fire kept burning. They were wandering in the wilderness, and the fire kept burning. They grumbled and complained, and the fire kept burning. Every morning, the priests would put wood on it and take the ashes out, but the fire never went out for 40 years. Day and night, every minute, the fire kept burning. I want to let you know that the fire of God that God has placed inside of you wasn't meant to burn out. It was meant to keep burning. Can I hear an amen? I remember when I was 13 years old, I preached... Uh, my first, I was started preaching. I got my license when I was 13. And I remember a church leader came to me and said, I was only 13 years old. He said, I remember his name. I remember what he looked like. He said to me, because I was at the altar, I was crying, praying, and sobbing at 13 because I just wanted everything of Jesus. And the, 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 the church leader said to me, he was like a bishop. He said, He said, Oh, son, he said, when you get my age, and, you know, he's probably in his 60s, he said, when you get my age, it just windles out. He said, you'll, 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 you'll dry up one day. I know you're excited. That's exactly what he said to me. That's exactly what he said to me. And, you know, all these years, I thought about that. Never left me. But I'm 37 years old, and the fires keep burning right here, baby. I haven't let it go out yet. Can I hear an amen? I just kept the fire burning. Amen. How many is in this building? you got the fire burning inside of you. He said, every morning, you've got to put wood on that thing. Every morning, keep it burning. He said, make sure you remove the ashes. Listen, you've got to learn to remove the ashes of your life. What is the ashes? People's thoughts, people's opinions, what people think about you, your co-worker, people get on your nerves, traffic, anything can blow up the fire. You've got to learn to keep the ashes away from it. Every morning, keep it lit. And you've got to find what you need to do to keep it lit. I can't tell you everything. I don't know. You've got to find what do I need to do to keep that fire burning? Maybe it's getting up early in the morning and praying. Maybe it's praying with your spouse. That's very important. Maybe it's having personal devotion time the first thing in the morning or late at evening. But you need to construct a time in your life that you keep that excitement and that fire burning in your life. So three times he said, keep the fire burning. Keep it fire burning. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who lit the fire? Well, I'm glad you're here, because we're just having a Bible class. Is this all right? Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24. Leviticus chapter 9, 24. Now, this is one reference. There's other references, and I, I, I found this reference. There's references before chapter 6, but I just want to give you the point. The fire, which came from God, came out before the Lord, consumed the burnt offering on the fat of the altar, and the people saw it, and they shouted and fell on their faces. So guess who lit the fire? God lit the fire, and the fire was burning, but it was the people's responsibility to keep it lit. I'm going to say that again. Who lit the fire? Who lit the fire? Whose responsibility was it to keep it lit? The people, the priest, had to keep the fire lit. Now, it's interesting to me that if you do a little research, there's two people that came along, and they thought they could light the fire a different way. And you all know who they are, don't you? Who is it? The Bahu and his brother. They offered strange fire on the altar. Is that right? And they offered such strange fire that God came down and killed them. Is that right? Look at it. Just. No, uh, Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Nabat and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense it, on it, offered strange or profound fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So the fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. Remember, I said the fire is either his judgment or it's either the presence of God. In this case, the fire of God was judgment. Verse two, the fire went out from the Lord, devoured them, and they died before the Lord. So here, who lit the fire? God lit the fire. Whose responsibility was it to keep it lit? The priest had to keep the fire lit by putting wood on the fire every morning. But listen, get this. The priest was Aaron. His sons said, I think I can do it better. So they go into the temple and get their little censer and they add extra fire. That's what actually they did. They had extra fire. It was strange to the Lord because the fire was already lit. God already did it. So the point of it is, you can be on fire, but you can be lit by the wrong fire. You can offer strange fire to God. And what is strange fire? Strange fire is when you offer things that you think is good to the Lord, when God says, that's not what I require It's, and I don't mean to harp on this, and, and I don't have an alternative motive. I really don't. But this is the best example I can give. God asked for 10%. He didn't ask for 5%. 5 percent's good, but what he commanded was the 10th. So you know what people will do in an offering? Give strange fire to God. They do what they want to do, and they don't obey the commandment. Well, I'm preaching up in here. I said, I'm preaching up here. I just wish somebody would help me out. So strange fire is when you do it your way instead of what God said to do. And you think it's acceptable unto God. And, And I'm not saying money. It could be anything, really. God says don't date somebody. You know they're a pagan, but you do it anyway, and you get married, and then you live in hell for 30 years. Well, whose fault is it? God told you not to do it. So you've offered strange fire, and we live by the consequences of it. that's 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 just probably not the best example, but you understand. People make decisions all the time, and they say it's good. It's a good decision. I've done what's right, and that's what we call strange fire. Are y'all with me? Are y'all still love me? Can I have some love up here? Are y'all okay? Everybody, give me a high five. But how many knows this? The truth. It is the truth. We can offer strange fire to the Lord because we think it's good and acceptable when God says, I've done it a certain way and this is the way I want it to be done. And what happens is when we do it our way, then we have to face the consequences and then we blame it on God. How many times, how many would agree that that's how? How many has ever told your children, don't do that, I have a funny feeling about that. If you do that... I don't feel right about it, and they did it anyway. It may have looked good, but how many knows the end result wasn't right? You've got to follow the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and understand that strange fire is when you do it your way, when God said to do it another way. Can I hear an amen when, when God says to do it another way? So you've got to do it. Amen. Somebody say amen. You know what? This, I, have, I have a hilarious story. I was at Camille. We're going to celebrate Camille and John's wedding. I'll never forget it. I went to their wedding and I'm going to tell on myself because this is funny. So I, I leave the wedding and I get in my car and it was storming. Start to storm really bad. It was calling for a severe thunderstorm. They said you need to kind of get in the house because it's going to be really severe. So I get in the car and I heard the Spirit of God say to me "Be, pay attention and be careful. I heard the Spirit of the Lord say that to me and um and then I said to myself, well, that's not for me because I'm a good driver. So I noticed Mr. Taylor over here was speeding up the road. He was. So I called him and said, uh, Sean, because um, he was zipping up the road. So I said, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said for you to be careful and for you to pay attention. Now, he's such a good staff member, he just said, thank you, pastor, I will. So I'm driving along, listening to music. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is the God's honest truth. I missed the exit, and I almost ended up halfway to Tulsa. I could not turn around because I didn't even know where I was. Like, I was just singing a song, and it was pouring the rain. I couldn't hardly see. I didn't even know where I was. I missed the exit, didn't know where I was. I was, I passed, I know I passed Miami. I was all the way, and there was, and I had no cash, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I have no cash, and I got to go through this thing. What am I supposed to do? And you know, on the highway, there's that long um, divider there. I couldn't get over, and it's pouring the rain down Horrible, and I'm thinking I have no cash. What am I going to do, Jesus? And I heard the Spirit say, "I told you to pay attention." How many would agree with Pastor John? So the next day, well, that, that evening, I called him because he came back to the church. I said, uh, "Pastor Sean, I want to apologize." He said, "He said, uh, uh, what time did you get home, Pastor?" I said. Uh, ten minutes ago. He said, that's three hours ago. What were you doing? I said, dude, I got law. I I don't know what happened to me. I was on the highway, and uh, it was only by the grace of God, because I pulled over the side of the road, and there was this gap in the medium. I said, Lord, I need to be delivered from this hell. God, please help me. So, I just pulled, and i I don't know how it. I thought my car was gonna get stuck, honestly, I was like, <laughs> but stretch your hands forth and pray a blessing over me, church. So so the problem was was I thought it was for someone else, and really, the Holy Spirit was warning me just to be careful and pay attention. And if you've ever driven with me, you'll know that sometimes, you know, I'm really not there. How, how many's ever been driving and you got home and you're like, how did I get home? I don't even remember. How, how many can, I don't even remember. That happens to me so much. I'm like, I am starting to think, honestly, I thought about calling the doctor the other day and said, something's wrong with my memory. Something's wrong, dude. Anyway, so anyway, the point of the story is, you got to pay attention when the Holy Spirit says to pay attention. Am I right? So who, li- who lit the fire? Whose responsibility was to keep it lit? The priests, they had to put wood on it. But you see Aaron's sons, they offered strange fire. They did it their way instead of God's way and they experienced judgment. And I'm going to close with this. The fire went out after 40 years. It went out. When they crossed the Jordan River, you know the story I told you this morning? The fire was out. Do you know why? Why? they had a portable structure, the tabernacle, they was going to build a permanent structure, King Solomon. The fire had went out for years. So the commandment to keep it lit wasn't obeyed. So for years, the fire wasn't burning on the altar. And something significant happened. Solomon had the desire to build the temple. He had built the temple and you know it was a glorious temple. As a matter of fact, It was so glorious that Queen Sheba came from afar just to look at it. I mean, it was a glorious temple. And the fire had been not lit for years and years and years. And something happened. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And I'm going to close with this verse. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. The Bible tells us 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 1. This is in the new building. They had built the temple. And when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Hold on, church. The fire had went out for years. They built a new temple, and listen, when they built a temple, the new one, they put a sacrifice on the altar, and fire came down once again and consumed it. What does Pastor Josh want you to know? If the fire has not been lit in your life and you have let it go out, the way to get the fire back is to develop a place for the Lord. They had a temple that was the place for the Lord. And for you to get the fire back, you've got to develop a place where it's you and God. It was Solomon and the Lord, it was the people come into the temple. They made a place for the Lord. Listen, listen to Pastor Josh. Don't lose me. Why did the fire go out? The fire went out because they moved the tabernacle and they was going to build a temple and they didn't have a place for the Lord. And when there's not a place for God in your life, don't be surprised that the fire will go out. The fire went out and when he made a new place for the Lord, The fire came back in. And i said this to say this. My heart is to experience the presence of God here. My heart is to experience the presence of God. My heart is for you to grow. My heart is for you to learn. My heart is for you to grow and mature. Now listen, I know I preached on growth this morning. I'm preaching on growth next week. And it's very important that you understand my heart. That when I preach sermons like this, it's not derogatory towards you. I'm preaching this because I want you to come up a new level. And you may have already come up a level, but I desire you to go up another level. I'm your coach, and I'm desiring for you to go up to a new height and a new level in the Lord. I never want you to become comfortable, or I never want you to become stagnant. I want you to always go to the next level with the Lord because I want to go to the next level. I want you to go to the next level. That doesn't mean you haven't. That doesn't mean that you haven't experienced God. That means what I'm saying is I desire you to go, continue to go to the next level and the next level. You should never stop until the coming of the Lord. Can I hear an amen?